0: Let Ferguson's knowledgeable product experts kick off your next kitchen or bath project with the latest in touch and hands-free faucets, high-performance gas ranges, or low-decibel dishwashers. They're really quiet. Request your appointment today at fergusonshowrooms.com. The best decision ever. Visit the Ferguson
1: Showroom on Powell Avenue in Nashville to discover the controlled convenience of Jet Air's Connected Wall Oven. Innovative, intuitive, and in the palm of your hand. Reinvent your kitchen with Jet Air and find it at Ferguson. It's the Midday 180 from Super Bowl Radio Row here in South Beach with Paul Koharski and Chad Withrow. I'm Jonathan Hutton. Glad you're with us today on 104.5 The Zone. And we're excited about our next guest who is one of 15 modern era finalists for enshrinement into the Pro Football Hall of Fame's class of 2020. Leroy Butler joins us by phone. Leroy, how are you? I'm doing good.
2: You know, it's good to be down in nice South Beach instead of in the frozen tundra of Wisconsin. (laughs) other than i'm doing great
1: you you've been a semifinalist for the last three years so so what is it like to move up into this final group knowing that you're a vote away now from enshrinement
2: well it feels like you're the new kid on the block or the new kid on the playground everybody's been playing this game for a while and you're just sitting on the sideline and wait and until your turn to participate you know because it's a lot of you know, great players on this playground. But when I get there amongst them, I think as a player, especially at at safety, you say to yourself, do I really belong here? Or is this just lucky? In my case, I think I really do belong here. I've been patient for over 14 years. But at the same time, I am honored to be the last 15 among some great players that all of them think, I'm sure they think that they're worthy. So I'm just, I'm pretty excited right now.
1: Former Green Bay Packer, Leroy Butler, one of the modern era finalists. He joins us by phone. In December of 93, you recovered that fumble and returned it for a touchdown and you jumped into the stands. And from then on, it was it was known as the Lambeau Leap. Will you walk us through that yeah. play and, and the decision you made to jump into the stands at Lambeau?
2: Well, I tell you what, for me, for a Florida young man, you know, from the inner city of Jacksonville, Florida, where, you know, year-round is 90 degrees, and I got drafted uh, to um, to the Packers, I didn't really experience a real cold day. But that particular day in 1993, December 26th, it was six or seven degrees below zero. I even went to, like, the manager, like the equipment guy. I said, now, do they – forfeit games, (laughs) or do we play? He goes, no, you play. They give you stuff to keep you warm. I said, man, I'm at Florida State. This is crazy. And he said, think about this. The Raiders are from California, so they're going to be just as cold as you. Just go play. I just remember causing a fumble, and out of the corner of my eye, I saw Reggie White pick it up. And when he picked it up, what popped in my head was Mike Holmgren always said guys you get an interception or a fumble never pitch it bad things will happen but as I was running towards Reggie I saw in his eyes he's gonna pitch it and when I got it guys I'm running down the sideline and just spontaneous I don't know what happened it wasn't premeditated at all I just remember you know seeing the fans going crazy and I jumped up there, and I just remember when I jumped up there, was this guy had a beer in his hand, and he kind of yelled at me. He said, "Hey, man, you owe me a beer." <laughs> 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 and I thought it was just hilarious. And after that, you know, uh, you know, because Mike Holmgren, if you talk to him, he he's like, "Hey, look, don't do that again. We may get a penalty or whatever." I said, like, "I don't know. It was just something that came over me." But we thought it was cool. We really did think it was cool. And plus, when you're doing the leap, you know, you're winning games. I mean, you scored a touchdown. So I was pretty excited that Paul Tackley, before he left, he said it was grandfathered in and guys can keep doing it.
1: Did they call it the Lambo Leap immediately?
2: No, you know, they had like a fan poll back then. Uh, this is over 25 years ago. And what do you call it? And then uh, when they came up with, the fans came up with Lambo Leap, Robert Brooks wrote a song about it and then his song i remember it was awesome it went but this was before viral but we'll just use it for the sake of argument it went viral everybody was talking about it because he wrote this song about it and i remember bill clinton came to our facilities and we're in lambeau fields and you had the secret service all around him and i and Robert, i said give me the cd and that and i know people are listening. To they're saying, wait a minute, they had CDs. <laughs> uh, yes, you young people, we had CDs. And I go over to give it to him, and they thought a sniper was going to take me out or something. I say, Mr. President, here's a copy of Jump in the Stands by Robert Brooks. and You know, it would just be awesome. And he gets it, takes it from me, which most presidents wouldn't do that, and he puts it in his jacket and so says, I'll listen to it. What he did or not didn't matter. It was the fact that, you know, you shared something about, you know, jumping in the stands, so Robert Brooks gets a lot of credit for making it famous. I mean, after that, every time an offensive guy did it, they would jump up there, and the fans just love it, it, it I mean think about it, and that's what I was talking about at the Hall of Fame. It's a lot of guys got a lot of great stats all the everybody got great stats, you can show highlights of everything, but one thing about me though. It's all about the fans. I mean, how this is amazing. The one time you score, your first score ever, you want to share it with my fans. I mean, without the fans, I'm a nobody. I mean, even on the cover of my book, From Wheelchair to the Lambeau Leap, I have a picture of me and the fans doing the leap because I want the fans to know that I represent them. And so I'm pretty excited about that.
1: Former Packers safety Leroy Butler, one of the finalists for enshrinement to the Pro Football Hall of Fame.
0: You mentioned the title of your book. Tell us a, a, about that trip from from a wheelchair to the Lambeau Leap. Uh, your childhood in Jacksonville uh, included leg braces and even that wheelchair. Tell us about the, the ailments that you faced and, uh, and the odds of overcoming that to become a, a Hall of Fame finalist.
2: Growing up as a young man, I'm from the South, so that meant we go to church like 200 days a week. (laughs) I remember telling my mom, I said, "Mom, after church, and I had the leg braces on like Forrest Gump, the same braces. I remember telling her, I said, after church, I come home. I it's just something that really sparks my interest. And she said, "What's that? I said, "It's the NFL." I say so. One day I'm gonna play in the NFL, and I remember her telling me, looking me dead in the eye, I mean, square in the eye. She said, "You can do whatever you want to do. You gotta be a leader, not a follower." Because I'm from the, one of the worst housing projects ever in this ever in Jacksonville, Florida. But for African American at that time, to have these kind of dreams and goals were unheard of. But my mom, being my role model, she explained something to me that was gonna help me along the way. She so she said, "The real heroes." aren't people with capes who can jump and do all this stuff. It's the teachers. I mean, the real heroes are people that help people that they don't know. She says, so when you get to school, when you're in the special ed department, special needs department, kids are going to pick on you because you're in a wheelchair. Kids are going to pick on you because you're poor. But it doesn't matter about that. You just listen to the smartest people in the world as your teachers. They will help you. And along the way, I just never, ever forgot there were three letters and two things that were going to keep me focused, God and the NFL. That's the only two things I wanted to talk about growing up. That's it. I didn't care about anything else, and I just never forgot where I came from. That place was so bad, they tore it down and built some new apartments. But I represent who I'm from. I mean, who, I represent where I'm from and who I am, and I think that made me – the person I am today, as far as networking and having a good personality, to be just be a nice guy. And me and my mom, she passed away three years ago, we had this discussion. She said, You know, the journey of being a Hall of Famer, you got to enjoy it. And then she said, Being a finalist is just as good because that means you're being talked about. That's how the kind of wisdom she had. And she just said, You have to share that, your story with as many people as possible because there's going to be other young men and women are going to hear your story, and hopefully they can build off of that.
1: And for those that don't know, Leroy, you had some bone issues in your feet growing up. You started in a oh wheelchair, right? And then you end up I in ex- leg braces.
2: I was extremely pigeon-toed. Or if you see uh, like a a penguin walk or a pigeon or something where my feet, I mean, they're almost looking at each other. They've turned all the way in. They had to put them in these casts and literally set them straight and put them in these casts for, I mean, for years. Hopefully they would stay straight. And then, you know, being in a wheelchair, my sister carrying me around. And and then, I mean, the biggest day for me, the Super Bowl, was to go upstairs and being on the top bunk bed. I never got a chance to do that as a young kid. And my sister would just kind of, Pairing me up there and that was the biggest smile i had as a young kid you know and i but i used to look at my feet and i said to myself i'm never gonna like complain i'm never gonna say okay god why did you put me here i'm just gonna do something else that's when i learned to cook because i couldn't go outside and run and jump like everybody else so I learned to be a fantastic cook because I stayed inside with my mom, and I have about six cookbooks now. So that was my thing. If I was was three things were going to happen. Either go to the NFL, be a fireman, or be like my own like, cooking show type thing. And those were my three goals. But obviously, plan A was to get in the NFL.
1: Tell the story of how you found out you did not need those leg braces anymore.
2: You know, it was, we had the children's hospital, uh, back then. We go there and my, um, sister, it was time for the prom and she's run we're getting ready to go and she's running downstairs because she was late for the prom. And when she was coming downstairs, she just kind of turned a corner and when she turned a corner, she kind of bumped into me and the braces, they broke. So I'm standing up and everybody's like, Like, kind of yelling at her for bumping into me, of course. And I was standing up with no assistance none, no crutches, no braces, uh, nothing. So, when we get to the hospital, the children's hospital, uh, my mom was like, Well, what is going on? I mean, and the doctor said, You know what? He probably just grew out of it. You know, his left foot is still a little curved in. But he doesn't need anything now. He can do whatever he wants to do. He may have some pain, I mean, inflammation. and It may hurt, but he should be able to do whatever he wants. And can you imagine the kids that saw me in the special needs department with those braces on? And then the next day I'm walking like them. They were like, whoa, what is going on here? But for me, it was time for me to get my life started. It really was, to go play sports. So I didn't play sports. At a young age, like I have a nephew that plays sports ever since he was five. I had to wait till I was 10 or 11, even close to 12, to being even a part of like youth sports to where you're, you can have like teammates and it's fun to you and you have to have sign up sheets. And normally I had to just watch my brothers do that kind of stuff because I couldn't do it.
0: We're in Nashville, wondering if you, uh, as a Jacksonville, Jacksonville guy, keep an eye on what comes out of Jacksonville. If you have any thoughts on, on Derek Henry, who went to Yulee High School down there?
2: I'll I tell you what. It was three guys that I saw that were just phenomenal. Anquan Bolden, uh, Tim Tebow, and people say, you know, they got this kid crossed – uh, this is a while a uh, few when he went to, before he went to Alabama because I was hoping he went to Florida State. Of course, they said right over there now across the little border area. That's how people in Jacksonville talk if you're not from Jacksonville. They say they got a huge kid over there, but I think he made he's not going to go to Miami. He's not going to go to Florida State. I'll say, wait a minute, Florida State's the best place to go. I mean, we'll give him 40 carries, and it was a guy showed me uh, some of his highlights and after that, I mean, the guy is just unbelievable. I mean, whenever you can go through a playoff when somebody like me is sitting in a room to say to stop this guy, okay? Now think about that. We're sitting in a room. The whole game plan is to stop him, and you can't. That's truly amazing. It's just truly amazing. I I just wish you would have went to Florida State. That's the only thing I wish
1: Roy Butler, our guest, you, you certainly went to Florida State, and you were in the same defensive backfield with Dion Sanders. What were some of those practices like? Not the games, but the practices. Oh,
2: oh loud, loud, <laughs> competitive. Uh, competitive, loud. Um, Dion taught us how to brand ourselves, me and Terrell Buckley, Martin Mayu, and he just taught you to be a difference maker. I mean, you can imagine him going up to our receivers in the one-on-one drill, saying, "Why are we doing this? You're never going to catch the ball." I mean, that's the kind of stuff. He was making these guys better, by the way. But he was one of the, he was the ultimate teammate. He says, "Man, listen, if you can't make big plays in big games, then you're just you're just here for the uniform. You're not here to get to the next level." And that was all before the whole prime time thing started. We forgot. We never even called him Dion anymore. We just called him prime. And time was his last name. It was like prime time. And everybody knew about the number two. The guy was truly amazing.
1: Leroy, you became the first defensive back in NFL history to have 20 interceptions and 20 sacks. And I know you finished your career with 38 picks, 20 and a half sacks, 180, 181 games, I believe. Did you enjoy the interception or the sack more?
2: Good question. Good question. I wanted to do something different. I thought as a safety, you're supposed to have interceptions. Then I thought to myself, I went to uh, Ray Rhodes. Ray Rhodes was the guy. Ray Rhodes was the guy that moved me. He moved me from cornerback to safety. And I remember him getting getting a phone call, getting a phone call we must move you so we can draft Terrell Buckley. Well, I think the fifth pick. I said, okay, great. And I said, wait a minute, I'm going to get killed. I'm only like 5'11", 185 pounds. He said, no, it's not about size and height. It's about you can cover the third wide receiver. You can cover the back out of the backfield. You can cover the tight end. But when it goes to sacks, my defensive coordinator, Fred Shermer, he convinced me that going after the quarterback could be something that would be new and improved. But there's nothing like when you're doing your little creep towards the line of scrimmage, and, it's, and the quarterback looks at you, oh, they're going to make a call to slide the line to you so you can't get through there. Then I give Reggie White a different call instead of going outside, go inside. And I come around and sack the quarterback. Nothing better. And sacking a quarterback when they know you were coming. So for me, it has to be a sack, especially in the Super Bowl 31, sacking my good friend Drew Bledsoe. That was truly amazing. So I would say to me, it's sacks.
0: I'm wondering if you feel like there's a, a, a little bit of a renaissance. I know those of us on the selection committee have been talking about safety, safety, safeties. Uh, we know it's an underrepresented group. Here, four of the four of the fifteen guys we'll be discussing: Atwater, Lynch, Troy Polamalu, and you. And then three of the three of the senior ten guys that got in uh, for the Centennial Committee were safeties. You feel like people are starting to realize you guys are, are kind of underrepresented, and uh, and and trying to write that.
2: I agree. I mean, I think it was a log jam for a while, and I got discouraged after a while when I when I wasn't a semifinalist for a year. I said, "Well, I guess they've just forgotten about kickers, punters, and safeties." But if you think about it, the safety position is the only position when you look behind you, you see the goal post. So you're very important. Everybody else, if you look behind them, they got help, but a safety if a safety is making a difference in a game, you not only are you winning, but you're saving a lot of touchdowns. And I was hoping that people one day would just kind of open their minds up and say, man, did that position is very important. And So it was just so refreshing to see, you know, Ed Reed and you know, Brian Dawkins. And then you see some of the other guys who are finalists. You know, I know it's a, it's very competitive, but it's also – that the more guys that come, become finalists in the safety safety position, I know my case will be heard, and one day I will get in. So I'm excited about that.
1: Leroy Butler, our guest. Uh, it's one thing to ask a guy what it means to get into the Pro Football Hall of Fame, but for you, you would be joining the list of all the legendary Green Bay Packers that are enshrined, you know, the Lambos, the Nitschkees, Bart Starr, Brett Favre, Reggie White. I it it's all encompassing to be included with the entire game itself, but just to be mentioned in that list for that organization is massive.
2: I, I really agree. After a hundred years, it'll be a, just truly amazing for me. And not to mention it's elite year. So I mean for Lambeau Elite. There you go. Sense. Yeah. yeah, there you yeah go. I, mean, I mean, God is good. I mean, this is the best setup of all time. For a, a fan base, I mean, who has a lot of great players in? You know, Jerry Kramer just got in, uh, and then uh, Dave Robinson. And I always, when I used to go in Lambeau Field, I used to look up and see those numbers that are retired. I used to say to myself, one day my name is going to be up there. And I know the only way you can get up there, and Bobby Dillon is the one that just recently got in. If you, if I see my name up there, my life will be complete. And that's when I'd say that i represented the entire fan base to be what i think the most historical franchise because we don't have an owner our owners are people we see every day at pick and save or just bump into people in the city they're our owners and i just appreciate the fact even being in this position so i represent the fan base when i you know get a chance to hear for the guys get a chance to hear my case and make their votes
0: You've got a reputation as being fantastic uh, with the media, and we can see why based on this conversation. But um, as these good guy awards were spreading around the country kind of chapter by chapter with the Pro Football Writers of America, um, some of the Green Bay guys were saying, hey, we should call these the Leroy Butler Award. And <laughs> a, a, a lot of us were saying, hey, I, I'm sure he was excellent for you, but I've never interacted with the guy. It'd be weird to to name it. You know, <laughs> nationally for a guy a lot of us haven't dealt with, were you aware of that and all? And what prompted you to be um, so good to guys like us?
2: I, You know what? I, I, I didn't know that. I mean, that's breaking news to me. I always knew that, for one, you have to do a job. And secondly, I tell players, you can write your own narratives. If you get upset when you leave a locker room, after you say you gotta be forty-two to nothing, and you're upset, you're emotional. If you leave that locker room, you don't control the headlines. But if you stand there, take every question, don't be sensitive, and make it, because I always wanted the media when I had good games and bad games to kind of, I kind of wake up and kind of know what's gonna be said because you have quotes, and some people. Some players they don't really enjoy the game enough. They just want you to say all oh, this good stuff about it. But when you get beat, which is going to happen, I remember after we lost to the Colts, they were 0 11 or something like that. The year we went to the Super Bowl, I remember they got um, we got beat, and we had a great team. And Marvin Harrison had, a, I mean, a career day. Paul Justin was the quarterback. And I remember going in the locker room. Everybody was getting dressed so fast. I said, where y'all guys going? Man, I'm out of here. I don't want to talk to the media. I said, well, didn't you talk to them when we destroyed Tampa? You you talked then? Yeah, but I don't want to talk now. Okay, fine. I waited because I wanted to let people know because I knew fans were going to know how can you get beat by this team who has not won a game and you guys got a number one defense, offense, everything. I wanted people to understand what players are going through and the best way to do that is to be available and that kind of rubbed me the wrong way when players wouldn't do it
1: me too (laughs) (laughs) Leroy Butler has been our guest Leroy if we're coming uh, over we have the fortune to come hang with you one day and you're cooking a meal what meal are you cooking for Leroy Butler
2: mac and cheese I am the mac and cheese king I know people think oh, was well, only one way to mac- make mac and cheese. No, 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 no. I got the best recipe ever, ever. <laughs> What's best with
1: mac and cheese?
2: You're saying what goes with yeah,
1: it? Yeah, what do you make with your best recipe?
2: Oh, beef wellington. <laughs> All right. You get this piece of beef real quick, because I know we run out of time, and you make a pastry around it, and... I can get into all the stuff, what you do, but it's real simple. You put a piece of beef that's tender as a mother's love, and you put the little pastry around it, and you bake it, and you just slice it, and then you put the mac and cheese on one side of the plate and two slices of that. Um, man, what you talking about? That's, that's good old Roy Butler cooking right there now.
1: Paul is closing his eyes imagining this as you describe it. <laughs>
2: We're
0: not going to find anything near that good, but we got to go find something to eat. That's right. You're very, you're very, very generous with your time. We really appreciate it. We wish you good luck. I can't wait to uh, to be part of the discussion about you in the room, and uh, you, you kind of hinted at it yourself. But uh, I'm sure if it's not this year, it, it'll be coming sometime soon. Thanks so much.
2: Thank you very much, guys. I really appreciate it. Y'all take care. You too.